Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Welcome to a special double bonus episode double of the bonus. On The Tape podcast. We're coming to you live from the current global headquarters, 45 West 18th Street, with the extraordinarily sexy founder, Stuart Saab. How are you? <laughs> now, Dan's going to tell you all the housekeeping stuff, but just let me tell you the last time Stuart and I met. Now, the first time we met yep. was on the On The Tape podcast. Dan talked all about you. We met. We embraced. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. You were sweating, though. You were hot. It was over the summer, I right? I was late. I was running. Yeah, I think, well, that's all. That was part of it. The next time we meet is late last summer, this past summer. And I'm going to take a leak at this New York Fire Department's <laughs> huge event they had, right? At, yep. at uh, Randall's Island. That's right. And at my age, you got to do that from time to time. They had these beautiful bathrooms. So I'm going to the bathroom, and this, like, Grizzly Adams dude comes walking out of the bathroom and wants to shake my hand. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> hold on a second. Then I realized it's Stuart, and we embrace, and then – you said we were vibing, which I've never heard that expression before. We were vibing because we knew a couple of people. In all these years, we'd never met, but we knew two really close people uh, who were formative in the FDMY uh, board. It was a great yeah. evening, and I got to meet your wife. We had a lot of fun. We drank some tequila. It was a great event. But, Dan, fill everybody in on sure. what's going on moving forward. Yeah, so two things. Um, you know, I met, you know, Stuart and Trevor and Adam and Aaron and a lot of the team members over the last couple of years. And I've been in your offices here and you guys have been tremendous supporters of Rich Russell Media, the company that Guy and I founded two years ago. And we are doing a ton of content. Just check it out, people. Um, but it's this sort of stuff. Danny Moses, our main man, has been um, a fantastic partner of ours for the last two years on on the tape and market call. He comes on our CNBC Fast Money program with us every once in a while. But here's the deal. You guys have been um, like these amazing supporters. You've been the presenting sponsor of OK Computer, another one of our podcasts. And Guy, Danny, and I, we are moving our operations into your studio here in Current. We're really, really excited about it. And we thank you guys for all the support. So we'll be doing a lot more of this thing last thing why do we have these two beautiful bottles up here in between us because every guest on our podcast gets sent a bottle of como's tequila it is delicious tequila our friends from human ventures and the uh, como's company they sent it over here they wanted this as a little housewarming thing hey dan 
technically everyone's a guest here, so that's right. It's being left okay, here, so, so you guys drink that. By right. the way, you gave out the address where I know. I get banned. Docs these days if you get someone's public information, you get kicked out. That's officially doxing. Yeah, beautiful. Are you going to cancel my current account? Hold on a second. This office is ridiculous, by the way. I mean, I walked in here. There are people drinking at the bar. Then they told me no, it's just coffee, which is complete horseshit because there was one cat drinking like a black Russian in the corner. Tell me I'm wrong. The dude. All right, let's do it. We got a lot of stuff to cover. Stuart has been on our podcast many occasions over the course of this year. We found him to be an amazing participant in the conversations that we have about markets, about the economy, about the consumer. And I think you guys know this really well. It's been a really confusing year in 2022. And a lot of it is just kind of like the other side of what happened during the pandemic and the unusual steps that I think our Federal Reserve, I think we all think our Federal Reserve, um, Congress, and, and then central banks globally have taken. And so we're all just trying to figure it out just as you uh, you guys are, I think, on, on the tape. We try to demystify some of the stuff that, you know, I've been in the markets for 25 years, guy 45 years, Danny almost 30 years, that sort of thing. And so we have these conversations. You been an amazing um, contributor to us, so we look forward to more of that next year. Guy, do you want to kick it off? We had a huge week here. Yeah. We had this big CPI print, so this was this inflationary reading that last month, when the October number came out, it was a little less than expected by like two-tenths of a point. The S&P 500 rallied 4% in one day. It was crazy. We had that on Tuesday. We had the Fed's last meeting on Wednesday. They have aggressively raised rates Four consecutive meetings, 75 basis points. That's 3% in four meetings. Um, it's never risen the Fed funds rate that quickly. Danny, give us a take because heading into this, it was kind of like the Super Bowl for the markets, if you will, you know, into the end of the year because everybody wants to see inflation come down without the economy weakening too much. Yeah, so they just did their last one was 50 basis points the other day, as you said. So we're now 425 to 450. And if you survey the 19 Fed governors or people that vote, 17 think we're going to go north of 5%. I don't think we're going to get there. This is the same group of people that said inflation was transitory two years ago, right? And so now they're overdoing it. We are seeing retail sales. So yeah, you get lower inflation, but now you're getting a real slowdown. I mean, you look at housing, you look at all the indicators, retail sales and so forth. So you're going to get these nugs. Inflation has definitely peaked and it's going to come down. But this obsession by the Fed of getting to 2% versus getting it on its way to 2%. I don't completely understand, but we're going to turn this calendar into 2023, and you've got to put the Fed in the background and decide if you're a company and you're a public company, you've got to just deal with what's in front of you, and that is the fact that rates are going to be higher for longer. We have an inverted yield curve, which is telling us, it's giving us every clue we need to have a recession. It's telling us we're going to have it. We can get through that. That's fine. But again, I look at these different companies that have a lot of debt on their balance sheets that need to be refinanced. That have, If you couldn't do well in the greatest time period in investing history from 2010 to 2020 or 21 even if, with you know COVID hitting in the middle and a lot of stimulus coming in, if you didn't execute then, it's going to be very tough to execute uh, as a company in 2023, 24 and beyond. And the last thing I'll say, and the one thing I think that's most underappreciated in this market is quantitative tightening. So remember, the Fed's balance sheet was $9 trillion made up of U.S. Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities mostly. It's only, when I say only, it's only unwound $500 billion. So you think about that headwind. That's just money coming out of the system, so to speak. So it's time to be realistic, uh, and it's time to focus on bottom-up. 
Stuart, in a past life, you were currency traders. As a matter of fact, you ran desks doing it. I mean, which is fascinating because I was in that same world for a long time. And if a currency, developed market currency moved 2% in a month, yeah. you were doing back handsprings. Now they move 3% in five minutes. Yeah. So all this price stability nonsense that the Fed talks about, that's out the window. So speak to me about this environment and how you're sort of navigating because we've never really seen anything like it. Yeah, I mean, maybe 2008. There's a couple of corollaries that you'll see over the, over the years, but like, it looks like we've got all three in one. You look at the DXY, right? The dollar, the US dollar has gone from like the highs of 112, 114, all the way up there, down to 104 right now. Um, you saw cable, uh, sterling, dollar, for those people who don't know, uh, went from nearly one, 103, up to 120 again. That's probably more fair value, 115, 120. But these kind of moves, like you said, are unprecedented other than like massive liquidity crisis, asset crises. Um, and, and of course, the, like Danny said, the Fed is doing sort of like a technical recession, right? So they're putting the brakes on really, really hard and we're having asset price deleveraging. And so the tide is going out in terms of um, a lot of these companies. If they haven't done well, like you said, in uh, 2020, 2021, it's definitely not going to be good in 23, 24. You look at like something like um, Tesla. That's Whoa, what's the symbol? Well, <laughs> The, yeah. earth, like the multiples are insane. It's a car company, um, and I, I think that's going to like thirty bucks. I think it's going from one seventy to one, uh, to like thirty bucks. Wow. So 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 really interesting though. Again, what would we start to see when the Fed started to maybe think about taking inflation seriously in twenty twenty one? Right. So they officially made the announcement in late that year, November. Right. It was about mm -hmm. a year ago or so. Um, we had already seen high valuation companies with a lot of debt to Danny's point or not profitable. We saw those valuations getting compressed almost immediately. Right. I mean, that was like the, the, the biggest knock on effect. And it's really interesting that you bring up Tesla because you know, get Danny's antennas up. T Danny doesn't see the ticker as TSLA. He sees it as <laughs> TSLQ because that is the inverse, um, you know, the stock that that's the only way you see it. But, you know, it's interesting as the stock market over the last two months rallied nearly 18 percent from mid-October, Tesla's gone the opposite way. Right. And what has the Fed been telling us religiously, no matter what the algos read, when there is an inflation print or something, they've been they've been understanding or at least investors have been understanding that he's not pivoting right now. Right. And so if you haven't sold some of this crap that's massively overvalued and you've been making this point, Danny, like it's not done yet. You know, fine. There's plenty of stocks, buy now, pay later, or this and that, or whatever. They're down 90%, and the equities are probably donuts, as you would call them. But there's still a lot of room for some of these things to go. And then you layer in this, what you're calling a technical recession, Stuart. You know, I, I think about it this way, and Guy, maybe you have an opinion on this. It's like, we had a recession in early 2020, and technically, it didn't exist. It went poof, right? Because of that $4 trillion that the Fed, right, threw at the issue. So it was the quickest recession I think we've ever had. Well, I mean, you know, it's two quarters of negative GDP. But the stock market went down 35%, which is the average move during recession in the last 60 years. But that only lasted four months, right? So here we are now. We're in a bear market. But we're going to go into a recession that the Fed is inducing, guys. Yeah, it's interesting. And I've said this, and I'll say it here. I think amongst the many villains of the 21st century, I think central bankers are going to be on top of that list. I don't think they're bad people, but I think history is littered with disastrous outcomes born of good intentions. And, you know, we like to think here in the United States we're this great capitalist society, but quite frankly, we're anything but because what we do here is we capitalize gains and we socialize losses. And that's been going on for the last 20 something years. And it's great to operate in an environment where money is free. 
and you can make mistakes and those mistakes are sort of glossed over. But I would submit, Stuart, that the environment that we find ourselves in, this is where you separate the wheat from the chaff. And this is why current, I think, is going to be so successful because you see a lot of your competitors, a lot of the people yep. that are trying to get in the space. The only reason they were there in the first place is because money was cheap and they were able to get, you know, solicit funds for people just throwing money uh, hand over fist at all these different enterprises. Speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, just backing up, I started current with Trevor uh, all those years ago, 2014, 2015. And, you know, we were in banking. We were trading, like you said, on, on trading desks. And it was part of this socializing losses in the financial sense. Like banks just got bailed out. I was part of the capital efficiency mechanism where I wasn't really proud. I was making rich people rich mm -hmm. or richer. Um, and I wasn't super proud about like that part of my life. I was like, okay, I'm not really helping society or anyone else move forward other than myself and some of these people at these big banks. And so we started current. We're like, okay, how do we, you know, provide uh, total, total access to banking, uh, low barriers to entry and help people who are hardworking, um, blue collar, middle class Americans get a foot up in America. Um, and that's why we started current. So I think it was like born from this like uh, crony capitalism. Without question. And the other thing that I've said is the wealth gap in this country has never been wider. And again, to, to, vic to demonize central bankers, I'll go back to sort of, I think it was, I want to say it's Hamlet, it's probably wrong, but heavy is the head or uneasy is the head that wears the crown. And yeah. these central bankers are tasked with certain things. So the wealth gap to a large extent has been created by zero interest rate, free money environment. And in this situation, at the beginning of this, you know who got screwed? The middle class and the poor. And you know who's getting screwed now as they try to combat inflation that they begged for for years? Those same people. So to your point, I think current stands to do extraordinarily well in an environment where you're going to start to try to at least bridge that chasm. That's it. Also, don't forget the politicians. Central bankers are like one part of the problem, but we don't have... Um, distinction between the treasury, uh, judiciary, politicians, uh, and the Fed, right? The, the, like all the, the, that thing is just mashed into one under extraordinary exceptional circumstances. And I think we need division. We, need, we can't have treasury uh, basically monetizing our debt. We can't have this going forward. That's what a central bank digital currency could be, as I look forward to some of the dangers that we're looking uh, uh, from this point. And I just think like we're in a hell of a mess when it comes to like the vision of uh, authority and power. And America was meant to be the central guiding light for the rest of the world in how to do it right. And I, I think this blurring of the lines is getting us to this point that we're in right now. It's not just the central bankers. Bring it back to the investment community. And I see Kathy Wood complaining about what the Fed is doing. Well, she's been buying up these stocks, these companies that don't make money, right? Depending that we were always going to have rates at zero for a long time. And that was supporting valuations. Now, you know, obviously upset about the whole thing. If you're a professional investor, you just have to adjust. You can complain about the Fed all you want, but you need to adjust your business. And if your business can't survive this type of environment, you didn't have a good business plan in the first place. And so what do you do about it? You know, as a personal investor, go out and buy treasuries. And the Fed is giving you the opportunity to do certain things. And so you have to move with what they're kind of giving you. And so we can vilify them, we can talk, but it is what it is. And so how you react to that to me is key. And these companies and some CEOs of TSLA, I think, is the symbol of it, crying about the Fed. Too bad. Guess what? You're about to go through a recession. You sell high-end EVs to the consumer. You've been living off EV credits from the government. You built Solar City in New York from a, from a grant from the, from the state. Go make money without 
getting subsidized and I'll find you. But that's the scary part. There's a lot of companies like Tesla, I think, that are about to enter this sphere of what this is like. It's been 13 years. We have to unwind this. If the average Robinhood trader is now 33 or 34 years old, and a lot of people in this room are that age, but you're not investing day to day, you've never seen, you were in high school when this financial crisis happened. You've only known that the Fed has your back. You only know that there's printing of money. Well, this is the reality. 30 years ago, it was like this. We had cycles. We had to deal with high energy costs. We had to deal with war. There's always geopolitical. You just got to adapt to it. And so in the moment, it's not easy to deal with it. But what I'm saying is take a step back, take a look at the bigger picture. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, obviously you guys offer a, a 4% or so, you know, savings account. I mean, like for us, this is the first time. And literally in, since I've been in the business, there has been a reasonable near-term alternative to taking risk in the market. And I think that is really interesting. You know, I, I kind of differ a little bit from Guy and Guy and I talk a lot about this. I mean, you know, I think the Fed in my lifetime, or at least in the last 25 years since I've been looking at it supposedly as like a market participant, I think they do what they need to do. When I think of like the the 2001 and the dot-com implosion, and the terrorist attacks and the corporate, you know, malfeasance that led to like a really nasty recession in bear market. You know, I think that like lowering interest rates, it's one of their blunt tools and they, and they did that pretty well. They left their foot on the pedal for too long and then asset bubble in housing emerged. And then we almost had the financial system as we know it come down, not just here, but globally. Right. And so why did they keep rates for low for so long, well, it wasn't only us doing it, right? So we had this rolling credit crisis throughout Europe and, and you know, around the world, that sort of thing. So, so I guess my, my issue is, is like, I think, you know, look at the pandemic. They kept households solvent. They kept businesses solvent. Why were they a year ago still buying $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities when there was an absolute housing orgy going on as far as prices? Those, are the, those to me, are the problems, you know what I mean, that, that, that kind of caused that income inequality. This time around, they did right by that, in my opinion, by that income gap. So I just want to, you know, we're, we're, we're turning the page calendar-wise now, and I really think that this is the difficult part for the consumer and you know you and i've talked about this you've yeah. talked about it on the pod with us Stuart. you know you guys have a look into a, a consumer that's actually going to be I, I think at the at the forefront of whatever recession is going to happen here are you starting to see some trends are you starting to see some stuff that maybe resembles a little bit in 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 february march of 2020 when we didn't know what was happening now i think it's pretty well defined what was our episode what do we call it now uh, yesterday. yesterday, you can see clearly now that I can see wrong. Johnny Nash fans yeah. out there, uh, no, no, I can see clearly now. Nineteen seventy counting uh, average age here. No is one was <laughs> What is that? I don't. When you say average age, what does that mean? Everybody's sort of George Washington, right? I mean, they're. I mean, they weren't around when he was uh, not on your Spotify. <laughs> I don't understand playlist the, the average Nash. age. By the way, my Spotify. No, you know, playlist? Trevor, he's like a he's like a head metal. Where is he? You know, in the you there know the big is. short. You, you know, yeah, the, you I know, love that. Movie. You know, Michael Burry's always listening <laughs> to that. Hey, that's Trevor back there, just coding and doing Can I tell stuff. You like eight hundred. You should follow my Spotify playlist. 850 song playlist. I'm telling you, it's the best thing. It's From amazing. 72? 687 oh. of them are Led Zeppelin. The, <laughs> I was covers. in the top half of 1% of all Zeppelin fans in the world, according to Spotify. You do that shit, right? Like, you know, all those <laughs> metrics and stuff. Anyway, I'm, I don't get off the rails. Go ahead. Numbers and stuff like that. Um, for our consumers, uh, since we're uh, banking the majority of Americans, right? So if you're earning 20, anywhere between 25 and 75K, uh, in America, and you need affordable banking, and you're sick of uh, your existing bank uh, giving you overdraft fees, fixed fees, treating you badly, not focusing on you. We are for you. Sign up, two minutes, easy, and we got a ton of value. Teen accounts, 
4% saving, all that stuff. Sorry for the shill, but we got all the things, right? Um, and so uh, for the majority of our customers, they always live in a recession. This is the unfair part of our, about the reality of America, right? We have this barbell strategy with asset price inflation until obviously very recently of the rich getting richer and the poor getting into more debt and getting poorer, right? And now we're sort of flipping that around a little bit, or the Fed is at least hammering at that. And so they always live in recession, and so they're very um, sharp and keen to these kind of uh, these kind of market dynamics. So I'm actually seeing white collar being more pain. We've seen the tech layoffs. We've seen like what's happened to Twitter and all this other stuff. You start to see that first in our core demographic, which I would I would sort of lens over as maybe uh, blue collar more or people working hard or you know doing two or three jobs or something like that. You're not seeing any spend, but they're getting less for their money. And also, they're doing less discretionary. And discretionary spend for our consumers typically is an ATM. They go and get cash. They go to the bar on a Friday or Saturday night, and they do want to treat themselves. You're seeing a lot less of that. I think as we go into 2023, you know, who knows? Like, which companies are going to be laying off? The, the E of the, the P&E is going to get absolutely wrecked, right? And so who's laying off where? Is it Amazon? Is it Walmart? Is it those, those kinds of companies? Because those are the employers that we mainly uh, service, the employees of those companies. Yeah, I saw Goldman Sachs, I think, announced 4,000. I think the number was 4,000, which probably is 7.5% of their workforce was a significant number. How do people find current? Like, I know what your current client base is, but how do you expand? How do you grow? What's the growth strategy? I mean, you, this is nine years now, I guess-ish, right? No, no, eighth year, as Trevor reminds me no, daily, eighth year. the co-founder. So, uh, yeah, so eight years in. Um, yeah, so you find us uh, on current.com. Uh, that was a not a cheap website or URL to buy. We got it off Al Gore in 2015. If you want to hear another story, we can, we can give that one. Um, and so current.com, you can go in there and sign up and look us up in um, in the in any app store, Google Play or, or Apple App Store. The beauty uh, is they don't take funds from customers and send it to the Bahamas. <laughs> in the box, it's, all, it's all sitting there. Just we do so, not. Just we so do that is the beauty it. of it. That's the beauty of it. As <laughs> the user interface, oh, yeah. the 4% save, those are good. Those are actually real. Exactly. Uh, with CME Group's Microsoft futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. All right, Danny, talk to the crew here a little bit because we're starting to see, like you just said, you know, assets have been deflated. So if you have been investing in things, whether it was crypto, whether it was in stocks, you know, housing, that sort of thing, there's a lot of things that are kind of now maybe coming together. And what has the Fed been trying to do by the aggressive nature of their interest rate hikes? They've been trying to slow those, you know, asset values down and slowing interest and investing in those sorts of things. Talk to us a little bit about what you think here, because we talk about like a negative wealth effect, right? That exists when the stock market's going lower, housing's going lower. Stuart just told us they're starting to see some data where there's less discretionary spending. We've been talking about, you, you mentioned on our pod yesterday, those retail sales numbers confirm what you're saying. Okay. So 
What does it look like for the consumer, like let's just say across the the board, if housing continues to go lower because rates are going to stay higher, um, unemployment's going up, that's the last thing for a drink. I'm going to pour a drink in a second. It's not bad. It's that bad. No, but uh, yeah, so um, savings rates are at an all-time low, which you see, um, and borrowing is at an all-time high for the consumer. That's not a good recipe. This guy would say that's a witch's brew, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so here we are. A lot of this debt is variable rate. What does that mean? If you're carrying a credit card balance, it's only going to keep going up. If you have a line of credit, it's going to go up. So you better earn 4% somewhere to kind of offset that. So the consumer will always be the driver of the economy in the United States. It always will be. Um, and so, so goes the consumer, so goes the markets. And so as you roll this calendar, you know, I don't see a situation where the consumer is going to get healthier. Um, if you can equate that and extract that into the stock market and approach any investment that you look at, whether it's retail, whatever it is, whether it's an auto company, whatever it might be, anything consumer related, you need to take that into account. And to just tag on to what Stuart said. So a lot of these platforms, these consumer lending platforms that have been out there, these buy now, pay later type companies, these upstarts, genius, reinventing the wheel for lending. No, they weren't reinventing the wheel. And when you grow your loan book faster than GDP growth, you're going to have a problem later. Let me just explain something. So if you're a platform, that originates a lot of loans and you're profitable when you originate because you sell the loans to Wall Street and they package them and sell them for you. The minute that the credit on those loans, the minute the performance of those loans start to deteriorate, investors of these pools of loans will pay less for them because they're not doing well. Well, now you're seeing firms like Upstart, right? And some of, and a firm and all these guys actually balance sheet those loans themselves. During the financial crisis, what happened in 2006 and seven were that a lot of these subprime Mortgage companies, uh, New Century or credit home lenders, Saxon, they had the Wall Street pulled their credit lines. They weren't going to fund them anymore to originate mortgages and they weren't going to buy them. So what they do? We'll balance sheet them ourselves. Well, none of these companies are set up to do that. Current's not set up to do that. It's not what you want. You want a transaction platform. And so now you're seeing your competition, some of that are going to be struggling for a long time. And the minute they change their business model is when, from a professional investor perspective, you throw the red flag challenge and you short everything you can because Max, Max Levchkin, certainly he's brilliant. You're not reinventing the borrowing wheel at a firm. It's not happening. So you'll probably get some of those employees coming over to, yep. to work here and get even more people in here in this great company. But I kind of went off on a tangent there, but I think people need to understand the financialization of what's happened in the last 12, 13 years because rates have been so low for so long. This is the kind of thing that happens. And one other thing I just want to mention on on Blackstone, on this news you're seeing about their B-REIT, which is Blackstone's done nothing wrong. They raised a lot of money when rates were zero, and now they they get paid to put it to work. That's what they get paid. They get a fee for raising as much money as you can, and they get paid a return on the thing. That Those type things, the products that are $130, $140 billion products that have $70 billion in equity and $60 billion in debt in commercial real estate around the world, is there anything wrong with No, but that's going to be a massive overhang. Right. For a long period. So the redemptions that you're seeing and you're hearing about gates and can't get your money out. So I probably just overdid it a little bit for people. But my point is that there's a lot to deal with here that we have to unwind through this. And so I can be positive. Go ahead, Stuart. Yeah. Just on that on that credit note, credit credit's so cyclical. Right. As you know, we've delayed the cycle for many. We've said 13 years. Right. So we delayed that cycle for third, like for, for many years. Even Ray Dalio was calling like the, the long-term end. I think he had a four goes, right, from 2018 to 2022 at shorten everything. Um, from us, from a corporate a company point of view and from our consumer point of view, timing credit and when you get into credit building and credit and launching those credit products is literally 50% of the game is when you get in. 
And so uh, for current, we're going in early next year into credit building. That's our main focus, calling it current X until we can come up with a better term. And then, um, and then we're going into sort of lending and unsecured in 2020, end of 23 into 24, thinking that this could be, this is some of the macro uh, trading background here. It's like, okay, these, these, as soon as we get up and running, because it takes three years to build a credit portfolio properly. Right way. The right way without doing what you were just saying. Yep. So, um, so for us, it's like get it started, get it, get it staffed right, get the right processes and, and the compliance and legal stuff involved. And then over the next two years, I think we're going to see some form of uh, significant pop. And then, and then hopefully current is there to, uh, to do it the right way. I think in a past life, I was like a shih tzu or something because dogs can sense people in like 10 yeah. seconds. They get it right. And I'd never been here before. I walked in and I could tell immediately all the people I met. They want to be here. They're not punching a clock. They obviously love what they're doing. They love the environment. Culture is an important thing. I worked at Goldman Sachs for eight years. They preach that. They really yeah. ratchet it into you. Speak to me about the culture yeah. of current and what you're looking for going forward. Yeah, culture is one of those loaded terms. I think it, it means something different for a lot of people. For me, culture is the way of doing business, the way we work together. Um, rightly or wrongly, we made a – I think rightly, for obviously, because we made a call – is that we're in in office culture. Uh, And so I think companies go through stages, uh, just like humans and adults, and we're maybe an adolescent stage where we need to be in a room together and we need to, we have to solve and unplug a lot of, you know, unravel a lot of problems, get all those micro conversations going. It's really hard. You know, when you did that thing for three months or two years, wherever you are on Zoom, micro conversations for five minutes, it's very taxing. Um, and so this job is already very, very hard emotionally, mentally, even physically, obviously, because I drink so much. Uh, so <laughs> uh, and so you, you, it's, I think it's still very – there's not one multi-billion dollar company that I know of that started that didn't start in person. Right? There's very few, I think, that have started remote. So that was the main thing. It's not because I'm a sadist and just want to stick here. It's, it's mainly because of that. Hopefully one day we get to a size where we're a multi, multi-node, multi-country uh, company and then hybrid and remote makes sense for us, right? Um, and then we look for five uh, characteristics and qualities through how we do business. One is honesty. Um, it's super, super important to be honest. Um, two is creativity. Um, we want to find people who are creative, but also three is analytical. Balancing those two opposing forces. You, you know, you meet your, your creative person, your friend who's in the band or whatever, not really good with the bank account, right? And then you meet the, uh, the, the back-end engineer, nerd, no offense, uh, so, who, who's like, oh, well, all I do is, you know, I'm not, I don't really do anything else. I don't really do art. I don't, I don't enjoy the arts. If you can find people that have the two opposing forces that, that are well-balanced in them, greatness can happen. Genius can happen. Um, and and my, my friend and colleague, Trevor, I think he has that in space. Um, team working. And it's the most cliche one we've got, but it's not, what we're trying to get to is, yes, you can be an individual contributor and work on your own, but at the same time, understand that great things are not built by yourself. It's built by teams of people working together, arguing a lot, getting forward, disagreeing, commit, move forward and do all those things. Um, and, and then finally, the last one is perseverance because this is a damn hard job. And if you've been trading like as long as these guys are, you will understand what that means. Getting punched in the face every single day, hopefully not every single day, but most days. Um, you know, you can, be, you can be a very successful rich trader and be wrong 49% of the time, 52 It doesn't matter. It depends on your risk-reward ratios and all that other stuff and your, and your bet size. It's the same for fintech. It's the same for technology. It is a game whereby if you, if you don't give up, you're already 80% there. And so, so those are the characteristics. That's how we do business, and that's the culture we bred here. Work hard, play hard is really cliche, but as you can see, we do that too. 
Yeah, so let's hit this one really quickly because I think it's very topical. And I think, you know, Trevor and, and Stu, you and I have talked about this on, on OK Computer and on the tape. And, you know, some of the smartest people I know over the last five years in fintech and finance and technology and however you want to break it out, have really been fascinated with crypto. And I know that crypto is a kind of broad sort of phraseology. And there's a lot of really interesting things going on in the tech side, on consumer facing stuff. Talk to me a little bit about what this period, like, listen, you guys were never laser eyes, okay? Like, you guys were really, I, and I know that if you listen to an episode that we did, I think early this year, you talked about how, you know, Trevor on that desk at Morgan Stanley showed you this Bitcoin white paper, and you kind of, like, you yep. know, thought about it, and you were already into it, and you got it, and it was really an ethos for you and thinking about, like, financial services the way that you had kind of just described earlier in this conversation, but... Given the crisis of confidence that we have right now, there's outright fraud, and it seems to be like, you know, to the tunes of, you know, maybe tens of billions of dollars. Talk to me a little bit about what you think has gone on here. What are the repercussions? How does it work into 2023? And what comes out of the ashes here? Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, yeah, we, do, we we launched crypto trading, I think, two, two, three months ago. We donked the timing, no doubt, right? Like, there's no doubt that we donked it. We, tr- we tried to get it out late last year at the beginning of the bull market, at the end of the bull market. Um, and so various reasons we couldn't get our own product out on time. I think you've seen that from the market generally. You'll see a lot of fintech just launching crypto now. It's because they probably started, you know, two, three years ago and they finally got it out. So I think there's a mismatch on like consumer demand and, uh, and product market fit and all those things. Um, we were very careful in that process as well, who we partnered with. Trevor and I flew out to see Sam over in the Bahamas. Um, nice guy. Um, Alameda and FTX were a good there were two huts because it's in the, in the Bahamas and the doors were open and there were a good nine feet of separation between those two open doors. <laughs> I think we're all working out what that... That's a good, uh, that might be the, the, the episode title right there. <laughs> nine <laughs> feet of separation. It was a good nine feet. We also like, got our... It was very kind. We, we got our pizza in, in the Alameda hut and we sat down in the, in the FTX hut. And so where I'm going with this story is that you know we, we did diligence. Trevor said, no way, no effing way. Uh, that we can do anything, any business. They were going to throw cash and all this other stuff. And if you did any modicum of diligence, um, which we did, we flew over there and saw them. If you did that diligence, you wouldn't have invested or, or done the business. And honestly, it, you didn't need to look at the books. This is a really important point. We've kind of been talking about this on CNBC. <laughs> Danny, I'd love to get your take on this. It's like, it wasn't just that they were throwing money, you know what I mean, at things that they thought, you know, it's people were like people were taking money. Investors were investing in them, and then people were taking money. Like there's this guy, you know, Mister Wonderful, yeah. um, who's been on CNBC, who's on our show a couple weeks ago, and um, I, I think you're gonna probably stop hearing from him pretty soon. He got tripped up. Yeah. He was on like CNBC this morning. And this is this is live. I don't, I don't give a shit. I mean, like you know, like it, it makes absolutely no sense. Andrew Ross Sorkin, who's one of the most brilliant journalists, who did, did that yeah. great SBF interview um a couple weeks ago he says to mr wonderful on his show the other morning he's like i gotta stop you you were calling on our show bitcoin dog shit and then you're saying you were buying bitcoin you know you've been in this for so long investing there's just so much bullshit out there i guess right now and so the the issue of confidence we know this from 08 and 09 it cannot get fixed like that you know what i'm saying and so we were in the uae um you know, going to meet some investors. This is like three or four weeks ago. Uh, there were two people, there are three people who were there before us. Two weeks before was Sam Bank- Bankman Freed in a suit. So all these guys were in like, a suit. oh, keyword. Like, yeah, in a suit, first time. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. What, he got one of those investors, actually. One of them wired a bunch of money and lost it instantly within two weeks. The second person we saw was Mr. Wonderful in a suit. And the third person we saw was CZ. 
So I'm just letting you draw your own conclusions that there is, there is a long string of people looking for money in that particular area that I don't know if they make good choices. When it comes to the, going back to your one point about crypto, because I love talking about Bitcoin, I really do. I'm, I'm, you accuse me of being a maximalist once. I think. No, no, no. Maybe, no. maybe I, I am. Maybe I, I'm I mostly to... a maximalist. But uh, I think Bitcoin is an anti-dollar trade. It's an anti-fiat uh, debasement trade. And at the moment, because of what's happened to uh, de-risking in assets and the shoring up of the dollar and everyone's short and there's not enough dollars in the system globally and all the rest of it, the dollar has gone up, crypto, uh, uh, Bitcoin's gone down. On top of that, forced liquidations with all this other crap, right? 3AC, FTX, all, all the things. As soon as that's over, and I don't know when, but it feels within a quarter or two, it's got to be a low to me because I think the dollar's coming off. I would submit what's happened over the last few months is going to wind up being one of the best things that happened at current because... The one word that I come away with having met you and Trevor and the team is integrity. And I think in 2023, integrity is going to go a long way. So I want to thank Danny Moses. I want to thank Dan Nathan. I want to thank our live audience. I want to thank all people watching on YouTube. But most of all, I want to thank you, Stuart. Thanks so much. And we're going to do some Q&A with the folks here. Yeah. But we're going to say sayonara to the people watching live on yeah, YouTube. Thanks for having us. Guys. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.